this is the reality most of us live in is we start getting distracted and play into the trap of focusing on the distractions, focusing on the challenges that we have to overcome and lose focus on the goal, right? And it becomes, the goal becomes secondary to living in this moment of frustration. And I know that it's impossible to not acknowledge what we're facing, but we have to acknowledge what we're facing in a, in a bigger vision of what we're trying to achieve. And the fact of the matter is, you know, everything on the path is, is just makes the story that much more enriching when, when we get to the end. And nobody reads a book about a hero that doesn't have to overcome anything, right? I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is John Wolf of On It. On It is an Austin, Texas based health and wellness brand focused on encouraging a peak level of performance through the best in nutritional supplementation health-conscious foods, and unconventional fitness equipment and training. John Wolf is on its chief fitness officer and an expert in unconventional training methods such as kettlebell, steel club, and suspension training. With 16-plus years of experience in the fitness industry, he has worked with rehab clients and athletes of all levels, including Joe Rogan. He moves like Spider-Man and can deadlift more than 500 pounds any day of the week. Our discussion today digs deep into John's story and how fitness saved his life from the depths of addiction. John was hooked on different drugs, including meth, alcohol, and cocaine. To overcome these addictions, he completely transformed his habits and used exercise and martial arts to channel his negative behaviors into something positive. This all couldn't have been done without the help of an unsung hero who found him on the side of the road drunk and in and out of consciousness. This random man ended up giving him a ride home and it was that car ride home that ultimately led him to making the transformation for good. We talk about the ins and outs of his journey, including what caused him to use the drugs and how he crawled out of the darkness and got to where he is today. John shares more in depth about Onnit and Aubrey Marcus, including how they met, what Onnit's mission is, and how it's different from other fitness companies. We chat about different mindset subjects, including goal setting, overcoming plateaus, and the importance of the inner dialogue. Our combo also gets into different fitness topics like programming, how to stay consistent, and how to know if your workout program is actually effective. John also talks about what it's like to train Joe Rogan and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome John Wolf to the Adversity Advantage podcast. John Wolf, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here, Doug. Yeah, I mean, I'm really inspired by by your story, there, there's so many parallels between your journey, my journey, and I definitely want to dive so much into your story because fitness, it seemed in, in your transformation was the catalyst for change. I know you struggled a lot with, with kind of anger growing up. I know you had some structure in your life, I guess, because you played sports, you were into martial arts, but then you found yourself into smoking pot, into meth, drinking excessively. So if you could like take the listeners back, what was going on in your life 
in those moments and then how fitness was that tool to really change your life and now help helping so many other people change theirs. Yeah, definitely. You know, you touch bases or you kind of highlight that, that those outcomes of being on the slippery slope and making progressively worse and worse choices at a, at a pretty critical junction in my life. But the, the reality wasn't just that, you know, I was falling into those things. I was in a, a apathetic state and that was really triggered by a series of losses of life within my family. And, you know, so my grandmother passed away and had a series just to, to give us a, some justification or, or my, at that time, what I used as justification for my, my state of being was, you know, she was just such a kind and loving person, but the way that she was exiting this world, it almost seemed unfairly a punishment because it was so arduous rather than being able to, to leave in peace. Right. And so she had a third open heart surgery. She was trying to recover didn't really go so well in the middle of the night, had an emergency surgery as a result. And I just thought, oh man, you know, this, this is so drawn out. And it made me, and I think many other people, when we experience these, these trials, we question our beliefs. And uh, it was a really tough time. And, and it just accelerated some of my exploratory nature in, in kind of the darker path of life, you know, uh, whether it was just partying more or, or being willing to, if there was no attachment to some of the beliefs and meaning that I associated to life through the, the questions or the, the anger I felt that, that I, I didn't really have any fear about, you know, uh, not meeting those expectations or romanticized perspectives I had. So a year to the day after that, my grand literally uh, just after midnight to be the anniversary of my grandmother's death, my grandfather passed away. And it was a really short time from when we found out something was wrong to when he had left. And then compounding that things happened in threes, they say, right. And, you know, my uncle had a really rough time and he was, he was not an older guy, but he had walked that path that we're talking for quite a long period in his life. He's a father, a husband, but also ran the streets and, and got into a lot of trouble, some of which I got to witness, and he and I relationship were strained. We bumped into each other and spent a whole night together just hanging out, partaking maybe in some of these substances that we were talking about to facilitate some really meaningful conversations, though we probably could have had those conversations otherwise too. But I think it made an opportunity for him to share with more vulnerability and honesty where he was. And he admitted to me he had intended to take his own life, which he had already tried to do. When, when that happened, when that really manifested, when he was successful in that, it just all fell apart, man. I, so he did end up taking his own life. Yeah, man. And this is all within you know, 16 months from that first for, for my grandmother's first, for the first death in that family. And I just, I went into a tailspin and, and, you know, if after the first death, I felt apathetic man after the third time and feeling a sense of responsibility or a lack of, of ability to, to relay the message I tried so hard that night to give him, you know, that he was loved, he was important. And we all needed him to be here. It just, it was just so easy to go 
all the way to the bottom real fast. So, so, you know, it was a lot of ecstasy, a lot of weed, but then it turned into, let's just try this, this meth stuff that showed up at the party. And within a week, it was a really bad, it was shown to be a really bad choice to be so okay with introducing into my world at that time. How how old were you at that time? Oh, shoot. I think I was uh, about 22. So it was a pretty, I was pretty young. And then a year and a half later, I was 130 pound shell of myself, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And I was per- hurting pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I've heard you say that, you know, a few of the things that really sparked your, your transformation where you, you had people like reaching out to you and saying that you essentially were like a shell of that person that they all knew, because it, it seemed like growing up, you were that good kid. You were super disciplined and dedicated to martial arts. You played sports, you were active, but I think it just seemed you had this, this, this hole inside of you that that was empty because of your parents splitting up. And I think you, it seemed like you held onto that. And then you started experimenting with pot like later on in high school. And then it's just seemed these other events kind of poured gasoline on the fire that was already starting to burn with inside of you. And then you kind of hit, I think you kind of hit a moment like you were, I heard you describe where you were on the side of the road drunk. Right. And there was a person that the, the person like came over and you don't, I don't know if you said you didn't remember, but, but talk about that situation. So somebody came and, and stopped you while you were just on the side of the road. Oh man, you did some research, Doug. You, you got, you got a lot of insight. So, so yeah, at, at, at one point in time, you know, maybe I can transition from where we left off to where you yeah. just brought up. There was a, a pretty good gap there. And, and in all honesty, you know, my, my fight with addiction didn't end when I overcame my meth addiction. Mm-hmm. So I had taken quite a while to, so to kind of trigger this, this transition when I was really 130 pound shell of myself as a meth addict, yeah, there, there, there was a trigger of saying like, Hey, you know, thankfully, you know, I was hiding from my loved ones, mainly my mother. I felt very accountable to, I, I was raised by a, a single mom. As you said, I, growing up, I was, I had some emotional issues due to being a child of divorce. And, you know, I think a lot of kids growing up in that situation, they, they, had, they assert themselves as partially responsible or fully responsible potentially, or, have a lot of questions or concerns about their selves or their value as a result, but I was really lucky. I always knew I was loved and I want to just preface that, that I, I, I don't discount that. That was a big part of the strength I was able to draw from because I didn't, I didn't go through a, a program and create a new network of support. I was able to plug back into the love and support of my family. And I'm really grateful for that. So I basically sat down at a table and, after not really hiding from her for a year for a year and said, Hey mom, I know you, you know, I've been avoiding you. I know, you know, I'm not well, but you've given me the space to work on myself. And I want to let you know from today, moving forward, it might be a tough journey, but I'm going to, I'm going to fix this. You don't have to worry anymore. And so I did over time kind of beat that, that problem, right? The meth problem, but the addictive issues didn't stop there, as you said. So I, what did that, so sorry, I mean, just, so what did that look like? Did you end up going to like rehab? Did you end up going to meetings? Did you end up just calling somebody? Did you end up just turning to another, like a healthy addiction? Like how did you kind of navigate that? 
yeah, actually, you, you hit the nail on the head about, you know, I, I didn't go through any uh, rehab programs, but I, I did basically have to you have to kind of reflect, right? You had talked about my childhood. I kind of hinted about, even though, you know, I, I had issues with how I grew up, some of the things I had that were great gifts, I was, I was able to attach a lot of value to and a lot of my identity to feeling accepted and loved, even in this time where I was really, really in a bad state. And in, then in addition to that, you had alluded to, you mentioned my background in martial art. And, and I didn't really play organized sports so much, but I, I played, I hung out with a lot of jocks and got to, got to play with them on, you know, the, the unofficial games of, of football, turkey ball, you know, Thanksgiving day and things like that. And was always able to hold my own, but mainly because of the physical foundation I, I set in martial art when I was really young. And it wasn't really just a physical foundation. It was kind of a framework for self-improvement that I, I held myself accountable to when I was young. And that facilitated me being that the good kid that we were talking about achieving a lot, but also feeling at this point in my life that what I really needed was to reassert that practice, the adoption of kind of the bylaws of the dojo, the, the we recited these, these beliefs when we opened and closed every class. And I was able to ascend within a well-defined system and be a, become a teacher of other people. And I realized, okay, wait, I need to revisit the physical, mental, emotional discipline that I had in martial art. And so I sought that out and it was through fitness. That's kind of where we we had talked about before was that it was really my rehab was through the constant exploration of what, what fitness was at this state in my life. It went through some old school bodybuilding stuff that I used to do in the garage when I was a teenager with the cement weights that were leaking because oh, yeah. my uncle had left them there from like 20 years ago. Did you have those in your garage too? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't have them in my, in my garage. I never worked out formally as a kid. I mean, I didn't start working out until I was incarcerated when I was 21, but I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. The, the old cement plastic weights, you know? Yeah. And so I remember being in my garage doing that when I was young. So I explored that. I explored a conventional fitness certification. I thought it was really great information, but went through a practical and it was taught by a bodybuilder. I recognized from when I used to read bodybuilding magazines. And I realized he was in a lot of pain just going through the practical presentation he, he was he was giving. And he was still a monster. He was very strong, but he was strong with that caveat that it, how how much could he apply that strength because he was he was in pain. And then I, I realized I just wanted to do a bunch of research. So this was before the internet really, really took off. And there were some pretty interesting cats that were doing things. One of them was a gentleman by the name of Pavel Satsulin, and he had written some really awesome articles in a magazine called Muscle Media 2000. I, I really just loved his writing style and the information, the practical nature of, of what he provided in those articles. So I dove in head first. Uh, and another gentleman I found through the internet had more of a martial arts kind of spin on, on a movement system. Scott Sonnen and, and 
found some of the videos. They were really grainy videos, VHS type of stuff back then, right? And found stuff where he was moving around. And I was like, man, that reminds me of when I was young doing martial art, but on a different level. And so I kind of went down those two parallel paths and just poured myself into those two different curricula in 2003, got certified within a month for both. And so I was swinging clubs and kettlebells and doing a whole bunch of ground-based movement, doing like what would be considered very, very weird at that time and for many years to come. And now probably a lot less weird in terms of what we see out in the fitness realm. But going through that process and practice, going down those rabbit holes really kind of was, was my rehab. Right. Yeah. And I, I definitely want to get into how fitness can be the catalyst for, for change from specifically things like addiction, because you, myself, and so many others, that has been a huge foundation for that. But before we do, I kind of, I'd like to kind of finish the trajectory of your story, because I know like the, the bad behavior didn't just stop there. I think you, you got yourself clean for a little while and, you know, you, you dove into fitness and back into martial arts. And that was kind of, you know, the early two thousands, but I think you hit another rock bottom. I think it was 2005, 2006, where you kind of were, were drinking a lot. So what was going on? Like what happened? So like, if you could walk the audience through, like, what was the transition? Like did something trigger you to go back down that dark, that depths of addiction? Like what was going on there? Yeah. You know, I had, I tried to figure out what I wanted to do in life at that point in time. And to be honest, I was, I was never really fully out. You mm -hmm. know, I funded my education, kind of participating in, in street culture. If we want to leave it vague that way, I'll just go ahead and say it that in that, in that way. And so there, there was, I was never really out because participation was normalized to a great degree. And so at that point in time, you know, making, making that scene really part of my life meant that it was a very slippery slope, what level I participated in or what, how it escalated. So, you know, I was still in my mid twenties and I was seeking, you know, what it was I wanted to do. I got into like real estate and finance and it was, it was the boom, you know, people were celebrating closing real estate deals and, and, and funding loans. And, and it was a, it was a, it was a great education about this industry, but at the same time, a lot of people had a lot of money floating around and, and using it frivolously. And, and I liked participating in going out and drinking and it, then going out and drinking ended up being using some cocaine. And then, wow, this is a really familiar path that I'm on. And so I remember the, again, there's another parallel a friend hit me up and say, Hey, you know, if you stop, we'll all stop. I'm like, well, I don't think I have that much influence over what everybody's doing. And he said, no, I swear. If, if you stop, you, if you, if you really set a tone for, for what it is that we, you know, what you'll do, like most of us, will, most of us will stop. So it was a really eye opening conversation. And I felt like, okay, well, let's test that theory out and realized to some degree it was true. Right. And because I did make a determination to revisit the path of personal improvement, parallel path out of this new hole, but it did also involve this story about blacking out and parking on the side of a freeway. That was kind of 
the, the what happened right before this conversation with a friend. And I was like, man, this is just really, I'm really never had this type of situation before. Pretty sure I got roofied, whether I did or didn't really didn't matter. It was a really bad position to put myself in or anybody else. Thank God nobody else was hurt, but, but I had gone out drinking in, in a neighboring town, tried to drive home. I don't remember trying to drive home. It was, I was completely blacked out. And then the next thing I remember was being on the side of a freeway car was kind of parked at an angle with the, the, the line of the freeway. It was kind of just the corner of the bumper was sticking out and I'm on all fours and the world's spinning and I'm puking and, and somebody's walking towards me saying, Hey man, you can't be out here. And I had no idea where I was much less who, who was talking to me. And he's like, man, you can't be out here like this. You're going to get busted. You know, and I was thinking in retrospect, I could have got ran over. I've known a lot of people. I've heard stories of people wandering in the highway in the middle of the night. It's a really foggy area and getting hit by cars, much less, of course, potentially getting incarcerated. And so this person put me in their van. I remember it was a van and I was going in and out of consciousness and I didn't know where he was going, but he took it upon himself to get me home that night. And I told him upon dropping me off, like, man, I, I don't know who you are. I, I still couldn't see straight. I could barely stumble to the house and open the door. Right. And so telling him like how, how grateful I was and I wanted to honor him and his family by taking them out. I don't even know how, how well I articulated that. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> to this day, I never heard from that person. even though I tried to give him my contact information, he knew where I lived, but I just feel like that was an angel, you know, that kind of visited me that night. Because when I found out where my car was, he was going in a completely different direction. I missed my, my exit. I wasn't going the right way. And he was going nowhere near where he ended up taking me. And so I was really grateful for that. Had this conversation with a friend, dove head, back, head first back into fitness, got out of the industry in 2008, real estate industry, which was it wasn't the real estate industry's fault. It was just created a, an environment where my predispositions were were shined a light on right and and made made it really easy to access things that that i had a weakness for and 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 that's when i started my fitness business wow that's amazing man And, and you're right like sometimes we have these unexpected heroes that show up into our life and it's just for a minute right and it's when we kind of aren't expecting it, but we, we need it the most and they come in and and something miraculous happens and then it changes our life forever. And that's kind of what happened with this unexpected person who kind of picks you up from the side of the road and it just starts talking to you on the way home. And then, you know, that, that becomes the bridge for you to, to stop drinking and destroying your life and then getting back into the place that I think all along you, you knew you were meant to be in, which is the fitness space. Cause you kind of always came back to the health and wellness martial arts space. Like you grew up on that. Then you came back to it after the meth addiction and then you stopped, you know, working out for a while. And then you got back into drinking and, and blowing Coke. And then you, you stopped doing that. And then you found your way back into the fitness industry. So what, how did you start to build enough of a name for yourself to be able to partner with the company and start working with a company like on it, which is this massive conglomerate fitness company that's now recently been sold. It's, you know, was owned and started by Aubrey Marcus. How did that happen? 
We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result, fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Man, you know, it, it didn't make any sense, the path. You know, at the time I was on it, realistically, in 2008, I started my fitness business officially. I was kind of doing, pulling double duties, still working in finance and then starting a, a fitness business just at a gold's gym. I was kind of the weird, crazy trainer doing kettlebell uh, swings and club swinging and a whole bunch of gymnastics aspired to drills out in the corner off of this uh, power rack that nobody used. Right. And, and so I was trying to figure out how all those practices I really loved intersected and because at the time a lot of people would adopt a particular physical practice right um i am a fill in the blank power lifter bodybuilder athlete yoga practitioner group x instructor you know like they were they they're more fast beats and 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 you know fast paced movements whatever people they had their fix that they preferred from a fitness perspective. And that's what they really, really stuck to as an identity. But I wanted to figure out how to amalgamate a lot of these things I liked. I liked picking things up that were really heavy. One of the more impactful programs I, I went through when I was overcoming my initial meth addiction, built up my body, was a really simplified strength program by Pavel called Power to the People. It was awesome. It was just you're lifting heavy every day, which doesn't seem very intuitive for most people, but it was a really easy to follow, powerful program. And then I, I got into kettlebells and club swinging. I saw an opportunity to meld a lot of those things together with the ground-based movement and mobility practices. And it was like, well, I don't feel like I have to choose one or the other. I really want to figure out how they can synergi- synergistically be applied. And, and so that was kind of my mission. And I didn't really know it was for a long time because I, I got associated with one organization and I went really deep with it. But upon leaving that organization and kind of being, uh, you know, it's, it's tough when you leave an organization, you, you, you kind of might experience the opposite of the fraternity that you have felt when you were there. Sometimes people, when you leave, you become the enemy, right? And, and I, I let, I let the, the leader of that organization know, hey, hey, I'm leaving, but I'm not shrinking and stopping. I'm going to continue this path, and I'm going to incorporate the information and the experiences that I've had here. And I'm really thankful for them. Hopefully, they'll only benefit you as, as I continue to proliferate like message, right? And so a similar message. And so that was kind of what I did. 
I started inviting a whole bunch of different thought leaders to my little gym in Salinas, California. And what was initially clubs and kettlebells and ground-based movement and mobility started incorporating, you know, say like sandbag training from Josh Hankin or animal flow from Mike Fitch. And, you know, I, one of my mentors, some of my mentors were the team from GMB Fitness, Ryan Hurst and Gajarlo Milano. And they're, they're longtime friends and mentors. And, and it was the goal to not just integrate a few things, but integrate and gain a perspective of how, all things have a common thread that just got me because our where we were in in social media as well having a, a coach that was kind of a had a knack for promoting and putting out video it, it got us noticed and we were doing things and in integrating more things having an integrative philosophy in, in a way that i think most of the people in the industry really had never seen uh, at that level that many things and done well you know it together synergistically. And that's what Onnit really noticed. They wanted someone to create an education framework using a lot of the tools that they had here, which happened to be a lot of the tools we used in our studio already, and be the leader of the culture of our gym, the integration of the education framework within our on-site gym, which is just right down the hall here and mm. at our headquarters. And so it happened to be that someone I worked with in the past to produce a DVD had preceded my current role here at Onnit as Onnit acquired his unconventional fitness magazine called My Mad Methods, and it got rebranded as the Onnit Academy. And so when they asked him who the right guy for the job was, I was really great. I'm really grateful. He said, this is your guy. And I interviewed a very unconventional interview with Aubrey Marcus, where we may have talked about psychedelics in the end, that was one of the things that I, I didn't mention in my overcoming of addiction. It isn't something that I always mentioned, but part of what I had realized very, during a very intense recreational mushroom trip was that I, I was able to see how clearly destructive some of my habits were. And it was kind of like an ego death and rebirth in the shower. I found myself alone in the shower <laughs> and, uh, and realized like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to curl up in this ball and then I'm going to sprout up and, and overcome a lot of this stuff. And, and that, that kind of honest sharing with Aubrey was part of, part of my interview. (laughs) So it was, it was a really interesting experience and a very unconventional path. To be honest, I spent more of that time broke and very purpose driven building a team of, of people I think are really talented coaches that, that are all doing really cool things now with their careers, but it, it wouldn't have been obvious that the path was going to lead me to where I now am, mm-hmm. you know, and receive all the blessings I have here at on it. Wow. Yeah. You, you said a lot there that I definitely kind of want to unpack a little bit. And one of the things you just said more recently was how open and honest you were with Aubrey in that interview process. And, you know, just for people listening to this, like the more open you are and the more you're yourself and honest and you're able to put everything out on the line, like there's, there's so much meaning and power in that, right? Because when you put everything out on the line and you're open and honest and you're, you're, you're truest, you're your truest self, then like what's meant to happen will happen. And you can go to sleep at night and be thankful and happy knowing that 
you stayed true to who you were at your core throughout that process. And when you open up and you're real and you're raw, it gives that other person on the other side an opportunity to say, you know what, I've been there too, which it seemed like you and Aubrey had that connection because I know Aubrey's obviously been through a lot of stuff in his life as well. And how psychedelics were, were something that has helped shift him into, into more of that healing process. So I want to go back and, and kind of double click into on it a little bit, if you will, because maybe some people listening to this, they might, maybe they recognize Aubrey or they've heard of on it, but maybe they're not as familiar as, as, as others of, of what it actually is, because I do know that, that on it is, I, I think in my understanding, it's, it's obviously a fitness company, but you guys also explore like non-traditional unconventional ways of fitness. And you're more into like human optimization. So if you could just you know, in a few minutes, like walk the listeners through like what exactly on it is and, and why it's different from other fitness companies. Yeah, definitely. You know, so you'd mentioned earlier on, it's the kind of brainchild, right. Of Aubrey Marcus, our founder. Right. And Aubrey is, is a philosophy major. He is a psychonaut, right. And he has, is an explorer of, of many things, right. Uh, a lot of what he brought together is a result of uh, uh, his unique experiences and, and interests through his, through his life. And what on it has is as, as the intention of on it, as it fulfills its mission is, as you mentioned, helping facilitate total human optimization, right? And what is total human optimization? You know, I think a lot of times we understand that we are, physical beings, right? That we have an aspect of our mental aspect, physical, emotional, and spiritual. So all those pillars have to align to be optimal, right? Like alignment, right? We can talk about that. And all those belief, those aspects of ourselves have to funnel through our beliefs to create an optimal outcome. And on it, if we were to go through all the years of evolution of the brand, it, it started potentially as a realistically as a supplement company where we focused on, you know, providing supplements. Primarily our biggest flagship product is a nootropic, which is a cognitive enhancement supplement called alpha brain, helping you function kind of in everyday life. And it's, it's analog, which is new mood, which is helps you calm down. So one to help you lift your, you know, raise your function and one to help you down regulate to, to kind of, unplug and de-stress from the pressure of performance all day. But we've, we've, if that's kind of like the two ends of the spectrum, that's kind of how everything within on it works, right? It's not just, just drive hard. It's finding balance. And so a lot of what happened is Aubrey tried to, you know, bring together a lot of these disparate modalities that he found beneficial. We got into from supplements to functional foods to fitness equipment okay, there's not too many supplement companies that are offering fitness equipment. And then what type of fitness equipment did he bring into the fold? Kettlebells, clubs, and maces. What Clubs and maces, what is this weird stuff? Well, he, he's a philosophy major. He was studying the historic relevance of some of these fitness practices. And he realized that he wanted to bring that, that into the modern era. Uh, there were already some other people doing it. So it wasn't as if there wasn't some precedent there, but on it, as you said, is a really powerful brand. And, and he wanted to use the brand to 
to bring some of these what is considered esoteric practices to light. And so that's really what we've done is try to curate a lot of different, a lot of different methods, a lot of different tools, uh, a lot of different practices that people can apply in their everyday life. And if you want to simplify, you know, what total human optimization is or feels like is kind of when you are in flow state. And I think that's a lot of, you know, when you're on it, that's kind of, kind of like a statement, like I was on it. And that's really where the name of, of the brand came from with him and, and Bodie Miller. Like if he was playing basketball, which Aubrey has a great affinity and is a great basketball athlete. Like he, if he was really on his game, he was on it. If Bodie Miller was doing a downhill and he had a great run, he was on it. And, and if you could be like writing a book or writing an article or in an interview, in a conversation, and it was just flowing, you're on it. Right. And so all the tools and resources are meant to facilitate you being on it in that way. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when the company kind of first started and it, and it started out as that supplement company. And then I've just seen it evolve through the years. And I remember, I remember when they came out with like the clubs and the maces and I didn't know who made them. And I was like, wow, on it's making fitness equipment now. And I, you know, because I was working as a, a trainer in a big box gym and you know, you, you pretty much just saw like life fitness and like Cybex and it's the standard gym equipment. You weren't really seeing a lot of these uh, unconventional pieces of fitness equipment. And, and so it's been awesome to see the, the whole brand kind of evolve. And I know that you've played a massive role in that. You're kind of the, like, did they call you the CFO and it's not chief financial, uh, chief financial officer, you're the chief fitness officer, where essentially you oversee creating and all the, the, the fitness side of things with, with on it, the, the training, the certifications, the program design and, and everything that goes along with that. So I want to stay on the, the human optimization topic. And I do want to get into another way that people may have heard of on it is through Joe Rogan. I want to talk about what he's like in the gym, but like, so let's talk human optimization. Like to you, like, what does that, what does that look like? I know you said it, like you feel on it, but what kind of things can people do if they're really trying to optimize their health? You know, for, for me, and I think you and I had kind of alluded to this in our pre pregame here, we just kind yeah. of like, Hey, hey what's up, Doug? you know, and I think we got into some of this, this preemptive of when we got to hit record, but I, I'd like to revisit it. And, and to, to me, human optimization is no more complicated than you I have a, a language coach, Mark England, and he talks about the difference between a goal and a dream, right? And our goal and a wish. And, and the fact that you can define the goal and it's written somewhere makes it tangible and real. So if, if we can define goals for ourselves and we can move towards them, we're moving towards a more optimal version of ourselves that we're choosing, right? And so, so, but the path, Say if a lot of us don't feel we are grounded enough to really even know, sometimes, as you and I had shared in our darker times, it's really hard to be mentally, emotionally, spiritually aware enough to kind of align those aspects of ourselves. So sometimes it's really just taking the first step. And I think most people realize that, that they could do better for themselves and their physical form, their body, by having a good physical practice, a good exer you know, exercise regimen, a good develop in, in the case of how, how we teach, we provide our framework is 
developing a better and more healthy relationship with our body by having meaningful conversation with it on a daily basis. And it's usually for us, it's kind of like a, we're mapping our body where we are checking in, having a dialogue with, that says, okay, how is this part of my body feeling? And, oh, wait, it's not feeling well. Instead of yelling at it and telling it, you know, hey, you get, we get with the program you realize like, oh, why doesn't that part of my body feel well? Maybe I'm the tyrant that has been whipping the horse and, and now it just can't keep up with the demands. Maybe I need to give it a different stimulus, right? And so, you know, how do I create a framework of having a good, healthy dialogue with my body, giving my body the love and respect it deserves so it can heal and function well? And how does that create a parallel in everyday life that lets me enrich my world with fruitful relationships, right? Can I start with me and then have that framework pour out from me into the world? And, and if I can do that, you know, from our education framework on the fitness side, that's kind of where we start. And, but there's so many paths in, right? For some people that listen to Aubrey's podcast, they might find that they, they don't have the will to even start in the physical realm. Maybe they go through and they listen to some of the information. And this is not for everyone either, right? So like I, I find the, the physical practice that I, that I espouse, I, I feel really comfortable like bringing that to whoever is interested and ready to, to, to jump in that. But people who, who listen to Opry, they might find that their path is more through the, their psychological needs. And maybe, you know, there's so much research going on the with PTSD research using psilocybin, right? Maybe that's where they seek an opportunity to make a big breakthrough. Or some other people may find a spiritual practice, right? That they 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 need to adopt. For me, because of who I am, my role within the organization, obviously, I obviously am going to to lean towards the the path that I that I know I can facilitate and create best, the best outcomes. But there's so many different ways in. And I just want to make sure anybody listening knows as long as you're moving towards, you know, a better understanding that, you know, a more centered version of you, like seeking, seeking the right information, finding the things that resonate with you and, and making conscious decisions to move towards that, even if it's slowly, then you're, you're on the total human optimization path. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I like how you, you touched on the fact that you kind of have to do what works for you. And I talk about this a lot because, and I'm sure you get to, you get asked this question too, as a trainer where people are like, you know, John, like what's the best workout program? Like, how am I going to lose the most weight or how am I going to feel my best? Or how am I going to put on the most muscle? And, and sure you can give generic recommendations based on what you know, that's worked for you and other clients that have gone on that certain path. But the workout plan that's going to work most for that person is the one that they're actually going to stick to consistently, right? So I like how you touched on that, whether they, they listen to Aubrey's podcast, they want to go down that more psychological route, and maybe that's the bridge to them maybe finding meaning in their life, then they build confidence to pursue the physical activity side of things. Or if they want to go the physical route, get started on a workout program, and then maybe that helps them build confidence to go the psychological route. Like it's all intertwined. Right. And I want to go back to, to goal setting because you, you, you touched on it. And I think it's really important 
And I, I think a lot of people, they fall short on this. And I, I think there's some things that they probably could do a better job of that maybe aren't as hard as they think in order to make sure that they're, they can achieve the goals that they want. So what, like, what advice do you have for somebody that's coming to you and they're looking to, to achieve a goal, whether it's a fitness transformation, maybe it's, they're trying to, to change their mindset, change the way they eat. Like, what are some things that you make sure are, are staples in that routine or in your dialogue with them to help them do that? I think you hit the nail on the head there, the dialogue. And it's not even my dialogue with them. It's their perpetual dialogue with anybody who they're speaking to and primarily within their own head. Right. And, and in that dialogue shapes our reality. And I think most of us, you know, I'm going out on a limb to say just my perspective. Most of us don't realize what that dialogue is, or we're not taking any control over the language we're using we don't even understand, we don't understand oftentimes how self-defeating the way we frame our statements in our, in our own mind can be. And then we, then we continue to perpetuate that in reality around us and it becomes even more real and heavy that I had mentioned. And it's funny, you know, we're, we're talking about this dialogue and, and for me, we had talked about my upbringing and my reality growing up really empathic. So I think I had an innate understanding of a lot of this, but I didn't have the ability to teach it effectively. In our fitness education framework, we provide kind of pillar principles that allow people to apply more critical thinking, not critical in negative way, but, but really seeking truth in the sense that there is truth in people's reality and how to, how to navigate those things. But what I found more recently, and I mentioned my friend Mark England and his body of work, he has something called the core language upgrade. And so in this conversation with you, I would have a really hard time relaying how powerful some of the tools are in the framework because it's, so, it's such a simplified perspective he provides as an educator of types of language that he would say like our architect language, like manifesting a, a willful positive outcome that you have your choice or conflict language, which is essentially taking away your own personal power and, and how that's perpetuated internally and externally, but it's manifested from, from you, right? And how those, that language, the pattern of behavior you take on with your language really does frame every experience we have. So I, I, I would say one of the things I really suggest is investing in and exploring the impact of language because my friend Mark would say that, you know, words are essentially spells. They, they have really powerful meaning that we kind of take for granted. And it would be a much longer conversation around this topic for me to do it any justice, but I would highly suggest anybody here look into to that type of body of work. You know, there's a lot of different areas of study there. His body of work, I just find really practical, actionable, and, and also very accessible, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And I think the way we, we talk to ourselves can dictate whether we have success in our life or whether we, or we're miserable, right? 
Because if you tell yourself you, you're, you suck or you're never going to achieve this or you're weak and all these things, and you're not envisioning like something positive happening in your life on a consistent basis, you're going to be miserable as a human being, right? But if you're able to, to flip the switch and talk to yourself in a more optimistic way and, and just see the good in situations, despite how bad they are and, and, and being able to stay positive, have faith, be determined to achieve whatever goal that is, like you will eventually win in life. And maybe you won't win in the sense where you're going to have success with everything you try, but you're going to win because you're going to have some successes in the times that you don't achieve it. You're going to at least be confident in yourself and pat yourself on the back for giving it your best and then taking the lessons learned from those failures and applying it to have success in the future. So along the, the self-talk, I just want to get like your perspective on this because I'm sure you deal with this a lot where people... They start, a, they start a program, right? Let's just say they start a 12-week transformation program where they, they want to lose 50 pounds in a year and everything's going good, maybe for a month. The, the, the scale is moving, the, their clothes are fitting differently, they're feeling more positive, but then at that, after that first month, something happens and they hit a plateau. Mm-hmm. Like, What do you tell somebody? What would you tell yourself in that moment to keep you, to keep you going? so that you wouldn't just go down in this downward spiral and beat yourself up and perhaps even eventually quit. Yeah. I remember this, this conversation I had with a, a client in my, my old studio in Salinas. And, and this, this has become a, a story I tell pretty often. And then I apply it in real time and it, it always has the same effect, right? It, it, it proves how distractible we are from our goals when they seem, it seems like we're unfairly being presented with challenges that get us off course. Right. And so what is that? Well, it could be our, it could be the fact that I was at a three pound a week weight loss and all of a sudden it's two pounds and that's framing it as a negative or a failure this week. But the reality is it's an unsustainable perspective we have. And, and that we have to accept that there's going to be a lot of detours or distractions on the path to realizing our goal, especially if it's a, a big, hairy, audacious goal, right? Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, if they are in a state that they have a lot of weight to lose, chances are they've been progressively moving away from their optimal state that they want to get to for a long time. It's going to be a long journey. And so I remember being in the studio and it was just one-on-one a lot of times, you know, members would hang out and we'd just talk about life or where they were. You know, this friend of mine was, was imploring how hard it was to stay motivated because not only was it that the progress had kind of plateaued for a little while, but that life was providing a whole bunch of external challenges to overcome. And, and sharing how important it was for him to reach this goal. So, well, okay, you know, let's just use, you know, in our space here, let's just play, play a game and see if it helps frame this perspective, you know? And, and so uh, I've used this recently with just a couple of our coaches from a professional development standpoint as well. And I say, Hey, that door on the other side of this room represents your goal, Right. And no matter what happens between now and the next five minutes, your goal is to reach that door, right? 
And so they're like, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. This, so that's your, that's my goal. And the door's right there. Look, is this a clear path to my goal? And the very first thing I do, as soon as I say that, as I walk and I stand right in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I present an immediate obstacle and, and they have to determine, is this obstacle one that I have to knock over or circumvent around or climb over, whatever it is, right? Knock down, climb over, or move around. And as they move, I move with them, right? And as they, if they physically engage me, I prevent, provide equal resistance. And if they have a wrestling background, I might be able to play a little bit there too, right? And, and then I might let them pass there, but then I'll shove them from their side, like and they get angry you know and i was like no don't look at me i'm irrelevant i'm just an obstacle your goal is over there and i think so many times this this obviously this this game continues and we make it fun obviously but at this and it usually it devolves especially if it's a guy into some type of wrestling match which is just fun but <laughs> and then of course they win after after plenty of resistance that's provided but in any case this, this is the reality most of us live in is we start getting distracted and play into the trap of focusing on the distractions, focusing on, on the challenges that we have to overcome and lose focus on the goal, right? And, and it becomes, the goal becomes secondary to living in this moment of frustration. And, and I know that it's, impossible to not acknowledge what we're facing but we have to acknowledge what we're facing in a, in a bigger vision of what we're trying to achieve and and the fact of the matter is you know every, everything on the path is just is, is just makes the story that much more enriching when when we get to the end and nobody nobody reads a book about a hero that doesn't have to overcome anything right and you know we talked you talked about rogan and in, in one of the famous motivational videos we have of him is be the hero of your own story. And, and, you know, to be a hero, you have to overcome, you have to overcome a nemesis, a, a big challenge, whether that's in, in the form of a, a monster or, or a mountain, whatever the case it is. Yeah. And you got to choose your suck, right? Like you're in that room and, and the door, the open door is kind of your goal to, to get out. Right. And that's like, the the end right is achieving whatever it is you wanted to and and like you mentioned you you stand in front of your client and what happens a lot is we stand in front of ourselves we're our own worst enemy at times with the way we talk to ourselves the people we surround ourselves with our, our habits the choices we make our routines like everything else and and you have a choice right like like just using you as that obstacle as an example like you can be that person that just fights to move you out of the way and and tries to shift around and get around your or do whatever to get to that door and just maybe you don't make it right maybe you just collapse and you you gave it your all you can be that person and be proud of yourself for giving it your all and and knowing that you at least gave it a good good shot or you can be that person that doesn't try just just sits on the ground and gives up and then over time that regret of not chasing after that goal is going to burn a lot more than the fact that you gave it your all and then collapsed in the process of doing so, right? And I think people, you have a choice and they both suck, right? One takes a lot of hard work, right? Because you're having to exert all this energy, all this time, all these emotions to get there. And the other one sucks because 
you're pretty much living in shame and, and regret of not doing it, not believing in yourself. I want to shift back to Rogan because I feel like he'd be somebody, if you said that to him, he, you, you probably have a hard time stopping that guy from getting to the door, right? Because he seems like he's in phenomenal shape. So what's it like t- uh, training a guy like Joe Rogan? Well, first and foremost, I wouldn't play that game with him because he's spinning <laughs> back, kicked me into another dimension, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but, and just to your note, really quick, we just acknowledge what you had said. If, if you fail on the path and you learn – you can still get up yeah. and choose to do it again. Like don't stop just because you failed once or 20 or a thousand times. You just fail forward. They say, you know, yeah. like it's just, as long as you keep making progress, you'll fail and then you'll fail again and you fail again. And you'll be exhausted. And then you'll, you'll sit there and reflect and you learn, but you don't learn when you quit or you learn to quit. That's kind of what you, that's kind right. of what it is. Right. So, so it doesn't mean that it's going to be any easier, but I think you hit the nail on the head is shame and regret. It, those are things that are really hard to shake. And I've lived with plenty of both, but with Rogan, man, it, it's really a, a, it's a trip because the first week I worked at on it, I, I moved here to Austin from California and everybody's like, Hey, Rogan's going to be in town this week. And I was like, okay, cool. I, did, I barely sat in my desk at all, but everybody was cleaning their desks and was like, oh, okay, we just got to make sure, you know, that everything <laughs> looks good. It put our, put our best foot forward, you know? And I was like, okay, cool. But everybody seemed a little nervous, you know, because it's a big deal. You know, Joe's a big deal. And, right. and, and this was seven years ago, you know, oh my God. Now, you know, we talked about people's entry point, you know, if, if it was Aubrey's, you know, introducing potentially this the psychonaut path which joe talks about too but but when people hear joe's message and and listen to joe speak they come in here ready to go (laughs) and when he's here you know one of the things that's important for me is that we have the opportunity to just be of service to him and he he's out there doing something that's changing a lot of people's lives and we receive a lot of those people and so for me, the first time I got to train him was that first week. And I was, I was probably as nervous as I've ever been to train somebody. Aubrey said, Hey, kick his ass or he won't respect you. So I proceeded, <laughs> I proceeded to kick that ass. Right. And so it was an awesome experience. And then I remember he had been kind enough to say something on his podcast shortly thereafter. And he had texted me before the nearly identical statement. He's like, Man, John, this is Joe Rogan. My ass is sore in the weirdest way. And I was like, well, and then he said something to that effect on the podcast. And I was like, well, what a freaking awesome reputation I have. You hang out with the wolf and you wake up the next door with your ass sore in ways that you've never experienced in your life. I don't know if that's a good time or a bad time, but it, it reminds me of an old joke, you know, in any case, now as he's moved to Austin and, and I'm able to hang with them when he has the time and energy to, to pour into showing up here. Cause he has an awesome home gym and he's always active, but the dudes, you know, you hear like the hardest working man in show business or whatever. And, you know, it could be Kevin Hart. I think Joe Rogan's right up there, man. He is mission driven. He is doing more things in his career than most of us could imagine. And he continues to show up when he does show up here. I'm more in the mode of balancing an ass kicking with, with being 
here just to be a service to him, you know, and because I have that much respect for what he's done for others. And also, man, I wouldn't be here and on it wouldn't be here if it wasn't for what he's done in goodwill to, to manifest the opportunities within on it. So, so I'd like to say, you know, it's just, we just beast out all the time, but I'm in the combination of pulling in every resource. If, if, if Joe has his shoulder bothering him, I'm going to drag him over to the PT. We're going to get him taken care of. And then we're going to proceed to do a, a lot of hard kettlebell work. You know what? The nice thing is he loves kettlebells. I love kettlebells. It's not too hard to have a lot of fun. A lot of times it's he goes and I go to keep us accountable. I know Joe likes, likes that vibe of, of shared mis, you know, like, embracing the suck together right yeah and so so there's a lot of that you know and and we have fun you know like i try to make sure if i throw things at him that are outside his his norm that i'm willing to dive in deep and 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 suck wind right next to him on things that he is familiar with and and it's it's fun that way with joe i just really want to foster that type of trust and respect it's it's a little atypical from other training sessions in that way for me. Yeah. It just seems like a lot of people that come in to the gym that might have like a name for themselves in, in many cases, you might be worried not to, not to hurt them or make them like throw up or it be too hard. Or they might not come back with him. You got to worry that like, you better make sure that this workout is tough. So he respects you and knows that you know what you're doing because he's so in, in that space. This is like a huge passion of his. And, and I respect the heck out of Joe Rogan. I mean, if, if people were to ask me, like, who are a few people you'd love to have dinner with if I had ever had the opportunity, like, you know, he would definitely be at that table. And, and he just seems like a complete beast in the gym. But he also seems pretty smart with his body and how he takes care of himself. So I definitely wanted to make sure um, that we touched on that. I want to go back a little bit to the beginning of our conversation where we were talking about the power of fitness, like being that catalyst for change when, when somebody's feeling down and out. And we were talking about this, like in the pregame, if you will, about when, when somebody is, is mentally and emotionally unstable, it's hard for them to keep even keel because they're just, they have so much going on. And we talked about the power of fitness. So, so why do you think that, that fitness is so important for people when they're going through such hard times in their life? I think it's the most, you know, what we feel, what we think, whether or not we can control those things, especially in times of great turbulence, it, it's, it's, it's all in a very subjective realm, right? Like I only know how I'm feeling unless I express it. And I only know what I'm thinking unless I express it. Unfortunately, the, the ability to control those things, to will how I feel and how I think is, is beyond our capacity most of the time much less at those times of greatest need, but being able to will myself to do one squat or one push-up, and that become two to 10 or a hundred within a workout and, and building a sense of competence and through competence, confidence, being able to see and measure like outcomes that are objective. You know, I think that once you have, overcome a couple of these and they don't have to be huge hurdles. Ideally a good coach is going to set you up for early success, create a lot of momentum and buy-in so that every time, and, and Doug, you'll probably relate to this. I have to have a sense of what 
meets your current ability just beyond it, but because of the trust and, and respect you have for me, that you'll step right out of that shell and meet a goal just outside of your belief of self, because you know, I'm only going to put you in a position where you can succeed. And if I, if I don't, then I'm, I'm presenting a goal within reason of your tolerance for short-term failure. Cause I won't set you up for long-term failure, but I, I think coaches have to be willing to, to foster an environment of, of like trust, respect, a sacred space where everything and anything can happen between you and I, because that's really what we, we have to do, right. To, to allow someone to transcend and then introduce plan failures at a rate that that person can tolerate and overcome because then then and only then can they really apply that to when they sense that they failed in other aspects of managing themselves. And I think that's what the power of fitness can do. And if you have somebody to help facilitate that experience for you, with you, actually it's very collaborative, man, it, it is the gateway to so much improvement in all aspects of self in a very short period of time. Right. Yeah. And and, and you mentioned just making sure that, you know, as a coach, we, we have the clients like best interests, I guess, if you will, in mind and making sure that they're not too overwhelmed with what it is you're going to have them do. Because I think in the, in our industry specifically, there's a lot of people that maybe haven't gone through the, these deep health transformations, like somebody like yourself or, or, or me or many others are in this space have, and there's people that Maybe they just became a trainer out of college because they just decided they didn't want to be an athlete anymore. They just always had been in shape and into lifting and, and they went that route where it's, it's really hard. I think to understand a client who's down and out because of their inability to do a pushup or because they've always been that, that Husky person their whole life. And they, they can't see the light in front of them and I can go on and on with the examples. And I think it's so important to, to really, really like educate yourself read, study, practice on how to really develop empathy for people and, and talk to somebody at their level and not trying to talk to them from, from your level. Because you see it all the time in the industry where, where trainers are giving their clients their workout routines. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, you're seeing people who are, are you know, are, are massively overweight and haven't worked out in 20 years that you're seeing trainers giving them like barbell deadlifts and barbell squats because that's what they do. And it's just, that's not what works for, for everybody and let alone a client who hasn't exercised in 20 years and probably has all kinds of, you know, emotional injuries, mental injuries, physical injuries that they, they can't like see that. So what advice do you have? Maybe not specifically for, for a trainer, but let's just, let's talk about the person that maybe they don't have access to, to a trainer to know that whatever fitness program they're starting or they're doing is one that's, that's going to be consistent for them. Like, like how can they know that, okay, I'm progressing at the right pace. This is like, this works within what I'm trying to achieve in my own abilities and stuff. Yeah. You know, there, there is a, a, a balancing act here. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think ultimately we, even within our, our fitness system, we have an element of choose your own adventure. And, and that might be, from the outside looking in very superficial in the sense that like we have a common framework, that common framework is meant to, to use movement as a, 
better as a dialogue, a tool to have a better dialogue with yourself. I would, I would really implore more people to prioritize that, to, to look at physical activity as a kind of a, a gift, right? Like it's something to appreciate what you can do, no matter how little it is. And then a coach that helps you see that it's okay where you're at doesn't mean you're, you should stay there, right? but that, but it's okay to be where you're at because it's, we can't change that until we go through this process. And that process has to be uh, about celebrating what you develop the ability to do, ideally pain-free. And in our, in our system, what we prioritize are, are those things that end up becoming the greatest limitations in our ability to endure. So we are a longevity and performance system. Yes, we focus on in eking out as much performance as possible, but if you are battling recurring injuries, guess what you're not doing? You're not progressing. You're not performing because you, you cannot, you don't, the uh, people who perpetually injure themselves, they, they get to a certain point and they keep on attaching value to that point, but they're halfway there. And then they try to revisit something they're, they're ill-prepared to do. So we want to continue to perpetually address your, your joint health, soft tissue health, ligament tendon health, you know, the, the health of, of the the system as a whole and perpetually create an opportunity for you to move in more dynamic and expressive ways, whether that's with out a tool, with a barbell, with a kettlebell, with a club, with a mace, with a medicine ball. And it's a common framework, right? For you to, to kind of live and play in this vehicle that is your body. It really is you, but it, but we can see it as a vehicle, right? And, and we should be able to adapt and create like new solutions to problems we bump up against in our world, our movement problems. Can we get down on the ground? Can we get up? Can we do it in different ways? Can we play and, and enjoy that process? And me, I have kids. It's a really a function of, can I do that in a way where I'm engaging my two-year-old? And what about when I have grandkids? I want to be able to do that then. My question is, is the, is what I'm doing for fitness providing me the ability that I'm likely going to be able to do that when I have grandchildren. I'm 43, you know, just recently turned 43 and I have a two-year-old. So it might be a long time before I'm a grandchild and have the ability to, to be on the ground with them in that way. I have a, a long time to make sure I'm planning for that to be a possibility and much less a reality. Yeah. And I, I like what you said about adventure and just having people, you know, kind of having fun and, and being like injury free, if you will, and making sure that their, their, their only metric of success in the health and fitness space isn't necessarily just performance or weight loss or muscle growth. It's like, how are you feeling in your body? Like, how are you moving? Are you able to do like certain exercises without pain? Right. There's a lot of people that are trying to barbell bench, but maybe they can't even do a push up. Right. There's, there's people that are going and, and trying to add like weight to a squat and they can't even do a body weight squat without pain or without, or getting full range of motion. And I think it's so important to just master the basics and the fundamentals before progressing up into something more specific and just, and just trying to keep pushing through and pushing through and pushing through. Cause you see other people doing it. So I love how you, you kind of touched on that. So I got two more things I want to ask you really quick. And the first one is, is so like what I, you seem to be on the forefront and 
somebody that kind of sees things before they happen in the fitness space. You know, you talked about how you were an early adapter of, of things like the club and, and maces and, you know, even a lot of the stuff that you've been doing it on it. Like what is something that in more recent times, that's maybe more unconventional that you've discovered for your own health and fitness that's helped you that, that you could share with the audience. For, for me personally. Wow. Oh, you know, it's just, just constantly an evolution of the, the practices that like maybe I helped bring to light. Now I have a, what we are as a very different than what I told you before, where I was part of an organization and you towed the company line. And then if you did something disparate or stretched the belief system a little bit, it, it was like, you did too much. You, you're shining too bright or whatever the case is. Right. Uh, I can't speak for what motivation there was for those people who wanted to, to rule those organizations. But within ours, what we really wanted to do is create a, environment where the vision was we create a safe haven like a, a place where all our ships can dock and and get replenished and because we have core beliefs we share meals we we share ideas and then we all venture out into the great unknown right and then we come back with the the findings of those adventures i was just in the gym hanging out with uh leo savage i don't know if you know who leo or mm -hmm. is he he heads up derivative of our education system something that's evolved as a result of us teaching his him the mace and him having a mace practice or sledgehammer practice even before then moving them in in ways that he was inspired through martial art and what we do is we amalgamate people's previous existing histories and artistic expressions and and with our framework and empower them to create something it is an evolution of, of what our foundational education system is. And for me, what it is, is the, for me, I'm a constant perpetual student and I love being part of, of these people's story and empowering them so that I can be, my cup can continue to be filled and find inspiration and, and like perspective that I wouldn't otherwise never have to me that that's really that's really a kind of a perpetual reality. Right. And, and not only within our education system, I just, I just signed up for OPEX's CCP course because I wanted, it was more aligned like a college course. I haven't taken a college type of course for a long time. And I like what they have uh, to offer from what I understand. I'd love to bridge the gap between their framework and belief system and ours, because I don't, I think we have a lot of common beliefs, but the way we outwardly express them is diff different and disparate. I just want an opportunity to bridge that gap. So, so what's OPEX? OPEX. Oh, I'm sorry. OPEX is a James Fitzgerald. He was one of the earlier CrossFit games winners. Mm. And what he's done is he's really created a model for, uh, improving the professional coaching in a one-to-one -one setting, whether it's virtual or hybrid or in person. And, and you know, it, it's very aligned with a lot of what we're doing, but we do it in different ways, right? And so for me, the, the, the thing that's most enriching on a personal level is continuing to expose myself to these, these evolutions of, of, of our education and people that are on parallel paths that, maybe see things differently and, and create an opportunity to continue having greater perspective, right? A, a synthesis of different beliefs. It, it, there's, there's so much that you said there. And I think what I really liked is how open the dialogue is with, with you and the team at on it to be able to just kind of explore different modalities, different alternatives of the health and fitness space and see how it all 
can align with with the brand without like fear of judgment or being fired or, or whatever that is. And I think that's a, it's a really awesome thing that you have. And there is so many unconventional, like newer things that are coming to life now in the health and fitness space, right? right? We got you know, breath work that's highly popular right now, hot and cold therapy, the saunas, like different forms of, of all that stuff. Has there been any of those things that you personally is like a favorite of yours that you're like, you know what? I think this has staying power. Yeah. All, all of them. Right. Good. So yeah. like you said, we're constantly seeking and having friends that are educators. So when you're talking about a lot of those things, uh, a friend of mine just put out a course, a certification called course called a physiologic flexibility, Dr. Mike T. Nelson. And what he, he basically provides an education so this is what I really love. He, he, what he does is provides an education of why these different modalities that you talked about, breath work, hot and cold therapies, right? So breath work, you can control the amount of oxygen or CO2 that you're processing and altering those ratios has a huge impact on, on your physiologic response. Same thing with hot and cold. Can your, can your body regulate its narrow window of op- optimal you know, temperature? These are what he would call homeostatic regulators, right? And so if those things go out of whack, it becomes really, really bad, really fast for our body. And introducing these therapies that seem out there for some people, when you realize what you're really doing is stressing these these regulators, right? Stressing your body to regulate itself in these different aspects. Then what you're doing is amplifying the impact it's like advanced recovery. Like how much can your body, you know, how big of a window can your body adapt to? And so, man, you know, until he had explained those things to me as, as simple as he, as he makes those concepts and brings in a lot of science, like I, I attributed a lot of value to them already because of my personal experience, but empowered with that education. I'm like, Oh, duh, this makes perfect sense and so yeah man my my favorite for breath work to introduce people to is actually not just breath work but using breath as a tool to further integrate your structure with alignment and and a biasing lines of tension is a a body of work called foundation training by dr eric goodman freaking phenomenal so especially since i'm a strength coach and strength athlete aligning the the breath in a way that it, it amplifies those other goals that amplifies the outcomes with the other goals is a, is a great entry point into that. And it's very practical, right? So then from there, you can get into all the other breath work because what it, that'll do is expand your ability to breathe 360, expand your body's ability to breathe as a form of decompression, and, which kind of sets you up for greater success in all the other breath practices. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff is so important and it can definitely, um, work wonders on your health and fitness if you're consistent with it and you kind of go at your own pace. Cause I think, you know, just like anything else with, with all that stuff, you just want to make sure that you're progressing at a state that's, that's maintainable and just kind of align with your ability to do so. So last question I have is, is like, what are you excited about? Like, what is, is, what is coach John Wolf excited about? But before you answer that, like, where can people find out more about you, what you're doing it on it? If people want to check that out. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So uh, for me, the best place to connect with me, even though I haven't been as active on, on the social scene is Instagram slash coach John Wolf. Really easy. Right. But where I have been active, but it isn't as public facing is, is on its, on it tribe 
private Facebook group. And that's where we facilitate a lot of the, like I provide a lot of free coaching for people that are going through our digital home fitness products at Onnit or Onnit 6 programs, which kind of let you choose your own adventure with which methodology or tool you want to play with clubs, maces, body weight, durability, which is kind of like a loaded restorative program, steel maces, barbells, whatever the case is. And then we have our on it in 30 products that are that feature me and some of the other coaches here that are, are how you get on it in 30 minutes or less. Right. And they have like different themes, but ultimately I spent a lot of time coaching in the way that we've kind of had these discussions, these kind of, that softer approach because I can they work out hard, but they need psychological and mental support to celebrate their successes. And and we do we provide a lot of support in that group. So that's why I don't I, I, I pour a lot of energy there in there. And so Instagram, Coach John Wolf. And then if you if you'd like to check out the the group on it tribe on Facebook. And so outside of that, on it.com and any of our fitness products and offerings primarily the digital side you'll see this face and hear this voice and uh, all the positive reinforcement in the coaching receiving my coaching is there along with a lot of corny dad jokes now in terms of what i'm excited about man realistically it's been a long time that i've been part of on it and on its growth i think as an organization we've we've grown through you know a uh, kind of our infancy into our adolescence. And now I think we're finally hitting that, that phase of, of real growth potential where we know who we are. We work as a, as a, as a unit. When we were designed, our teams were, were like, Aubrey had even said like he wanted a pressure cooker is all this talent and all these ideas and the best ideas would win, but those best ideas would usually leave out some of, like, like fitness wasn't necessarily a core driver of revenue. So it, I had to be really scrappy with how we did things. But now fitness is part of the overarching mission. It's part of what we call our ecosystem where we support our Onnit customers and being integrated more deeply and aligned with our mission moving forward. I'm so excited about how many people we could touch with this within this ecosystem, providing, you know, support on the mental, emotional side, providing support with the physical transformations, the fitness products, providing support with meaningful, you know, products that make it easy for people to optimize themselves on the supplements and functional food side. And, and just hopefully, hopefully doing what we've been doing, but at a scale we've never done before. And, and that's a big part of why we were willing to kind of allow ourselves to be acquired by a big monster in, in the industry who wanted to uh, weaponize the resources that they could make available to us to fulfill our mission. And, and that's been really, at least up till now, the conversation that's continued to have. You always hear all of these uh, horror stories of, of being bought by bigger companies, but it, it was one of the things that was really great in one of the meetings with Unilever. They're like, I want you guys to imagine that Onnit bought Unilever. And what would that mean in terms of how you would weaponize all of the resources we have. And to, to me, you know, I'm, I'm a mission-driven guy. I'm, I'm here to help people, as you said, support them empathetically through whatever it is that they're, they're suffering through, you know, their, their own inner dialogue, whether it's a chemical addiction, like what you and I have overcome, whether it's just a, a negative reinforcement process they're constantly in, whether it's been abuse and that scarred them, 
I think on it's a platform that can serve so many people because we have so many ways of, of making, making this process available to them. And I, I just, I don't know if you could tell, but you asked me that. I, I really feel like I'm not the only one here that feels that way though. And there's everybody is here for a purpose. It's a really, it's a really exciting time. Yeah. I could tell you're definitely on it and, and you <laughs> light up when, when you talk about it and it's, it's really inspiring. Like what you've overcome in your own journey and you know, what you and Aubrey at the, in the team at on it have been able to accomplish and achieve with everything. And, you know, you mentioned being bought by, by Unilever and kind of what that, you know, looks like in a way and, and how cooperative, you know, they've been kind of in the transition and making sure that you guys stay true to, to your brand and progressing in, in the most like mission driven, purposeful way. So John, this has been awesome. I will make sure to plug the the links to, to on it to your social channel in the show notes and and people for people listening to this you're gonna this is gonna be one of those episodes where i, I think you're gonna want to press the pause button a few times maybe it was something that, that john said in his story maybe it was conversations that we had surrounding the importance of fitness maybe it was was goal setting maybe it was what he talked about with with on it but what i encourage you to do is to take a screenshot tag john tag on it with, with a takeaway. Like, what was it? What was something that you learned? What was something that inspired you? Maybe it was an action you're going to take based on something you said, because we, we'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we'll see you next time.